Genesis chapter 2, verse 6. We're going to read through verse 10. The Bible says, And then Joshua, when he had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went each one to his own inheritance to possess the land. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all of the great works of the Lord, that which he had done for Israel. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was about 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of the inheritance of Timnath, Heres, in the mountain of Ephraim, on the north side of the mountain Gaash. And when all that generation had died or had been gathered together to their fathers, there arose a generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. Father, we thank you for your word today. I pray you speak to our hearts. Give us ears to hear everything that you have for us today. And we give you the glory and the praise for it. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Praise the Lord. You can be seated this morning. As I said, a lot of people traveling, getting last-minute vacations out of the way. So if you're watching online, we miss you guys. And uh, we hope to see you again this next week. But uh, this morning, we're going to continue on this wonderful Missions Sunday um, in the series that we started last week. But I hope you've invited somebody to church or you've been steadily inviting people. And uh, I promise you, just keep knocking and the door will eventually open with one of your invites. But keep inviting people to church. It's so important. Uh, This week, we are going to continue our series Revive us. Last week we looked at Second Chronicles chapter 7 when Solomon dedicated the temple and he prayed to the Lord and he said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, uh, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Last week we talked about the importance of personal Revival, because personal revival always kind of precedes national revival. We want God to turn the tide of America. We've got to first let the Lord turn the tides in us. Uh, Peter said, uh, for it is written, judgment must first begin in the house of God. And so uh, we've got to look at ourselves first. So we looked at that, and we talked about those three things. We've got to have humility. He said, you've got to humble yourself. The second thing, he said, you got to have a hunger. And uh, then the third thing we got to have is holiness. And so we looked at that this uh, last week. This morning, though, uh, as we continue, I feel like as I prayed and I saw it gone, he gave me something very prophetic today. And I want to talk on a little bit of a different outbranch of that message. I want to talk to you today from the subject, generational Pentecost. Generational Pentecost. You know, I believe that our faith is something that is supposed to be passed down from generation to generation. I I believe that, that our walk with God, our experiences with God, are something that is supposed to be passed down from generation to generation. And if we are not careful, we will fail to understand that we are indeed running a race, and all of us, in this room this morning are quickly coming to a point to where we're going, if Jesus doesn't come first, we're going to have to pass the baton of faith to those who are running the race behind us. And I don't know about you this morning, but I'm concerned that we have a smooth transition. Hallelujah. Come on, how many of you know the race can be lost if you don't have a smooth transition? And so I want to talk to you a little bit about Uh, this particular aspect. But I think this is best illustrated by an Olympic story that I heard some years ago. In 2008, when the Olympics was in Beijing, China, we had the American United States team that was racing the men's team against Jamaica, which were both powerful runners. They were the both top two contenders. And so uh, history tells us, and you can find news articles about this. There are even clips online that you can find. Uh, As the race unfolded, the American team was in a promising position to win. Everything looked like it was going to work out in our favor so that our men could bring home the gold. However, disaster struck during the second exchange of the baton between two runners, namely Tyson Gay and Darvis Patton. Gay struggled as he uh, went through the threshold to reach back and pass that baton to Patton. Yes, the lights are flickering. 
don't worry about that. He passed the, the baton to Patton, and what happened was is that as he was running, he fumbled the baton, and due to that fumble, it caused a few second delay where Jamaica actually took advantage of the downfall, got the upper hand, and we lost the race. How tragic it is to have such a leading advantage to lose it all at the end. I would have hated to go home that day. I would have hated to been Tyson who dropped this baton because it was this fumble in the transition that cost them from winning the race that, got, that, that they had trained so diligently and so hard to win. Folks, I think this serves as a powerful reminder to us that we should be ever so diligent to pass the baton of faith to the next generation. We talk a lot about legacy, but what is legacy as it relates to spirituality? It's our spiritual values. It's our testimonies. It's our beliefs that we pass down to the next generation. And hear me this morning, just as a fumbled baton can cause the race to be lost, if we fail to pass down the faith that was once entrusted to us to the next generation, it will cause us to fumble the ball spiritually. This morning, we better be ever so careful to be intentional about being generational with our faith. Somebody say amen. It's important. We see this tragedy in the life of Joshua, the book of Judges. The following chapters in the previous chapters of Judges chapter 2 speak about transition. Transition in the life of the children of Israel. One great mo leader named Moses uh, led the children of Israel as far as they could go, and as far as he could take them. And then there was transition that happened. One day... Joshua got a, a wake-up call from the throne room of heaven. The Bible said that uh, it was told to him, Arise, my servant Moses is dead. Get up, and I will show you what I will do with you. For as I was with Moses, so shall I also be with you. Amen. Somebody say he picked up the mantle. You see, the Bible teaches us in the life of Elijah and Elisha that no mantle leaves the earth. See, no mantle leaves the earth. You don't believe that this morning? What we see is in when Paul's talking to Timothy, his spiritual son, he said, I see the faith that is in you that was passed down from your grandmother and your mother. There was spiritual identity, spiritual dynamic that was passed down from one generation to next. But here's my question today. What happens when somebody doesn't pick up the mantle? What happens when one generation doesn't pick up the mantle? We see that tragedy in the death of Elisha. Elisha died, and he was thrown into a cave. The Bible says that there were some bandits that came by, and somebody was killed, and they threw his body into the grave of Elisha. And the Bible says that when he hit Elisha, guess what happened? He came alive because of the anointing that was still transmitted in the bones of Elisha. I don't know about you this morning. I don't want to die with anything left in the bones. I want to pass down everything that God has for me. Come on, somebody. I've got to be generational and intentional in my approach to reaching people for Christ. Hallelujah. It's an important reminder for us. Joshua begins to, Judges rather, begins to tell us about the lifetime of Joshua. The children of Israel had reached the promised land. It was through many trials, through many tragedies, through many snares. Obstacle after obstacle awaited them as they got to the place where they were. There was battle after battle, and here now lays in front of them the sight of their inheritance. Joshua chapter 2 verse 6 says that uh, the children of Israel went on to their own inheritance. They finally made it. They got to a place where they said, praise God, we finally got here. Don't know if you've ever been on a long journey before. But I know there's some relief in our hearts when we finally make it. I know Sheldon, I talked to them. They were on family vacation this week at 9 o'clock last night. He said, we still got five hours to go, and they're here this morning. I know when you got here at 2 a.m. or whenever you got here, your heart said, I'm glad I made it. I'm glad I made it. There's rest that comes to our hearts when we finally make it. 
to the place that we're trying to go to. And the children of Israel made it to that land flowing with milk and honey. They had fought obstacles. They had fought giants. There were rivers that were bitter, and there were waters that were poisoned. There were enemies that chased behind them. There was a lack of uh, what they wanted to eat in the middle of the wilderness. They had provision after provision, miracle after miracle, and they got to a place where they finally found it. But yet, we find ourselves at a place of great tragedy. The Bible says that when that generation that passed over into the promised land got to where they were going, the Bible says that they served the Lord faithfully. But when they died and they were gathered to their fathers, the Bible says there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, neither the things that they had done in Israel. All the miracles, all the things. And that new generation began to rise up. And what happened was they began to turn away from God. They began to worship other gods. They were engaged in sinful practice of idolatry. And as a result of that apostasy, the Lord became angry with the Israelites and allowed their enemies to gain the upper hand over them. Despite judges that were raised up by God to deliver them from their oppressors, the Israelites repetitively fell back to disobedience, which resulted in a cyclical pattern of sin, oppression, repentance, deliverance through the era of judges. Somewhere in the middle of all of this, there was a baton that was dropped. And the generation after them did not know the Lord, neither the things that they had done, that he had done for Israel. If you're a note taker this morning, I encourage you to be so. The first thing that I see in this passage in Joshua chapter 2, number one, is we see a faithful generation. I want to call your attention to the words of Judges chapter 2, verse 6. It says, when Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel each went to his own inheritance to possess the land. And so notice this. It says, so the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen the great works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. The Bible says that they served the Lord faithfully. They served their assignment faithfully. After Joshua had died, the elders that were there, they even served them faithfully. The Bible says that they saw the works that had been done. I, I want to draw your attention to this because it's important. The Bible says they saw the works that were done. Somebody say they saw it. Here's why it's important, because this was a first-generation generation. They saw it with their own eyes. What does that mean? That means that when uh, there was a, 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 a cry at midnight and the children of Israel came out of Egypt, as Pharaoh's horsemen were, were galloping behind them and they were closely getting to the Red Sea, when they looked like everything was lost and it looked like that everything was going to be forfeited at that moment, they saw God step through in valiant demonstration of power. They saw the staff of God that Moses had used time and time again strike the water till the water stood up and the Bible says they walked through on dry ground. They saw it wasn't something they heard. They didn't read a testimony in the Pentecostal evangel. They saw it with their own eyes how God supernaturally delivered them through dry ground, baptizing their enemies behind them in the waters of the Red Sea. The Bible also goes on to say that as they walked through that wilderness and they cried out to God for food and there was nothing there, they began to murmur in their hearts and complain. We, we, were there not any graves in Egypt for us to die? There, there's, not even any, there's not food here for us to eat. At least we had leeks and onions. How many of you know you're hungry? If you're talking about eating an onion sandwich, sounds pretty good. At least we had leeks and onions in Egypt. But the Bible says that they cried out and God sent miracle manna from heaven. Bread. It was the size of a coriander seed. The Bible says that when they went out and got it, they said, what is it? The word manna simply means, what is it? It's the bread that came down from heaven. The Bible also goes on to tell us, friend, that uh, when they got to a place where they needed something to drink, there was a, 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 a 
place where the water was so bitter. The Bible said that Moses prayed. God showed him a tree. They threw the tree in the water, and the water that was bitter now becomes sweet. The Lord healed the waters on that day. And that day, the Bible says that God made a covenant with the nation of Israel, and he said that I will not put any of the diseases upon you that I have allowed to come upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. They saw the miracle of the healing of the waters. There was the rock that came from, the water that came from the rock, that when they were thirsty, they had that. There was supernatural deliverance from Jericho, supernatural deliverance in all of the various steps along the way. These were people who were front lines, saw it with their own eyes, participants in the miraculous power of God. How many of you know that'd be pretty awesome to see that with your own eyes? I want to tell you that's much like the older generation of Pentecostals today in the Assemblies of God, the Church of God, the Pentecostal Holiness Movement, the Independence and such. That first generation of Pentecostals who were on the tail of Azusa Street, they can tell you about the all-night prayer meetings. They remember the Brush Arbor revivals. They saw cancers disappear and fall off of people after seasons of prayer. They saw miracle after miracle as they pressed into the supernatural power of God. They saw it. It was firsthand. This generation was faithful. They were faithful to church. They, they were faithful to revival meetings, to prayer meetings, to church meetings. Their children had no option whether or not to come to church. They slept under a pew if they had to. They brought their homework with them. They were drug children. They were drugged to church and drugged to everything else that the church was doing. They were faithful. I, I want you to see something this morning. There's nothing to be said about the unfaithfulness of this generation. But they were committed to serving the Lord in the wilderness and their leader and to see and do everything God had commanded them to do. But yet, in the middle of all of this, we see something. You ready? We see a lost connection. The second thing we see today is a lost connection. When this generation died, the Bible says the ones who came up after them, which would be their Grandchildren, their children and their grandchildren, particularly their grandchildren, it says they did not know the Lord, neither the things which they had done for Israel. So what that means is somewhere between the grandparents' generation and their parents' generation, there was a generational baton drop because how do you go from seeing all of the mighty miracles of God from your own perspective and then people in your own bloodline are born and they don't even know firsthand the things that God has done? We see a lost connection because this was a different generation. We're going to ask ourselves the question, what happened in this? I'm going to talk to you from my heart this morning because what I see, I've been doing research. I've been looking at Pew Research, Barna Research. I've been looking at Lifeway. I've been talking to pastors. And what we see is uh, we, dis- we see a shift in the church world today. And what we're seeing is, is that people that are the age of 40 and under have no earthly idea how to live out their faith at home. They understand the need to come to church. They understand that need to an extent. But when it comes to reaching their families on the day-to-day level, many of them have no clue. Studies have shown that the average Christian attender, this is not a blanket blanket statement because I promise you it probably doesn't uh, actually apply to most people in this room. But the average Christian attender of a church today uh, that is 40 and under, they have no devotional in their home. They have no prayer time in their home on a consistent, regular basis. Here's the problem, my friend. There was a shift at one time where this grave mistake was made that our kids will be disciples simply by osmosis. Hello. I want you to hear what I'm saying this morning. We made the mistake that our kids would simply become disciples by osmosis. If they just get close enough to it, they'll get it. But the problem is, just like this generation, they served the Lord faithfully. They were there every time the doors were open. 
But what happens is we make sure our children are involved in church. But when we got home, hello, somebody. We let the television disciple them, the football coach disciple them, the cheerleading coach disciple them, the t-ball coach disciple them, the Xbox disciple them, the iPad disciple them. And we made this mistake that thinking, well, if I just get my kids to church, it's good enough. But here's what I want you to know this morning. It is possible to be in church but not be in Christ. It's possible to have connection to a generation who has saw the power of God in great demonstration and yet perpetuate a generation after them who have never seen the mighty power of God. Friend, one of the most dangerous things that I see today is a generational gap between the old and the young. But make no mistake about it, I'm not talking about old music versus modern music, traditional versus contemporary. I'm speaking rather about the lack of involvement in the personal lives of those who are a different age than us. Hello, somebody. The Bible teaches us that it is the responsibility of the older to teach the younger. It's not on the younger to teach the older. The older are supposed to teach the younger, but yet the older should also champion the younger, seeing then that their race is almost finished because, listen, we should want the next generation to exceed what we have saw. In other words, our stories of great revival, our stories of God doing the miraculous should push us to teach our children and our grandchildren to pray greater prayers than us, to have greater faith than us, to see God do the miraculous in a greater way than we have ever seen before. Friends, let me tell you something. It's not enough for us to have experienced these moves of God ourselves. We must perpetuate them to the next generation. We have to do it this morning. We have to do it. It's important for us to be able to do these things. We've got to see, because we see this lost connection. You see, we struggle to find workers for ministries that once thrived because we're expecting people to be excited about making disciples when we've never taught them to be a disciple. Because a disciple is not what you read out of a book. A disciple is not what you get from an auditorium lecture. A disciple is made when you say, come and follow me. Come and work with me. Come and ask of me. Come take of my yoke of me. Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Discipleship does not happen simply by osmosis. Discipleship happens with intentionality. Are you still with me this morning? Come on, I've got hope. For every one of us today. Because I believe on this day, on this calendar, that this could be the day that this changes in your life, changes in your household, changes in your family. Listen, because we can't do anything about the generation that dropped the baton, but we can make sure the next one doesn't. Are you still with me? We may have lost the battle but we can still win the war. Are you with me? We see a lost connection. They were disinterested, had no interest in the Lord, nor the things that he had done. Was it possible that their generation that was above them were too busy at church rather than to teach them at home? Folks, let me tell you something. When we look at the Bible, Deuteronomy and Moses' writing, Moses puts the responsibility of perpetuating our spiritual faith to the home. You see, those of us who are Christian parents, who we have prayed and the Lord has answered, he has given us a child, whether that's by adoption or whether that's by natural conception, we have a child. As Christian parents, you and I have a responsibility. That responsibility, we are unable spiritually or morally to pass on to any other person. And that responsibility is to ensure that those in our own house are raised in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. The problem is, is that we raised a generation that said, well, if we just take them to the youth pastor, 
We just make sure the children's pastor spends an hour with them on Sunday, that we just hope they'll get it. Because our lives were so busy that when we got home, we didn't have time to pray with our kids or to pour into our kids. And so because we just thought it would happen, what we have now is a generation who doesn't understand the need to perpetuate disciples because they've never been discipled. Here's what I'm trying to tell you this morning. The greatest responsibility of Christian parents is passing the torch of our own personal faith to our sons and our daughters. Come on, somebody. Parents, listen to me. Nobody is more equipped to speak into the life of your kids than you as a parent. You say, Pastor, I may have blown it. Listen, get it right today. Get it right today. Some of you, by the time this service is over, the best thing that could happen to your family is to call a family lunch and a meeting, gather around in a circle, say, Mom, Dad, sorry, we've not done what we're supposed to do, but from this day forward, we're changing. Hallelujah. It's important for us to realize that if we're going to have generational legacy of our faith, it has to be intentional to be passed down to that next generation. Not just goes to our children and our, and, and our grandchildren, but our nieces and nephews and those who may not have parents that can pour into their lives. Listen, friends, the church has a responsibility, make no mistake about it, to equip, but the church has no responsibility to replace you won't find it in the scripture. We, yesterday, we served at the Hope Center. The Hope Center, if you went to the Hope Center, raise your hand. Come on. All right. All these people went to the Hope Center. All five of you. All right. Uh, went to the, there were more in the picture, so y'all must have slept in. But anyway, you went to the Hope Center. The Hope Center is a feeding distribution center. The thing about the Hope Center is they'll give you food, but there's no place to cook it. In other words, they give it to you, but you got to go home and eat it. You know, it's the same way with church. We give you spiritual food, but what you do with it Monday through Saturday is up to you. And that's primarily going to depend on your own spiritual priorities. But unfortunately, we're too concerned with golf, our hobbies, our 401ks, and our jobs. And we neglect the most important investment that's in front of us all the time, and that are the smiling faces of our children who need to know about God, his power, his faithfulness, his deliverance, because I don't know if you've noticed lately, they live in a different generation than we live. They live in a generation where evil is good and good is evil, and every ungodly thing has come out of the closet. And what they're learning on the back of bathroom stalls, come on, we ought to be teaching greater truth and revelation from the homes of our houses, opening up the Bible and bringing Breaking the bread of life with them. It's important. It's important for us to do that. Number three, we see the consequences of a drop ball. It was a generation who didn't know the Lord, which led to Israel going into sin and being judged. Listen, we cannot afford to let this happen to us being so close to the end of our race. Some of us have prayed too hard, we've worked too hard, we cannot afford to drop the ball in this race. We must, we must, we must pass the baton of faith to the next generation. I want to speak to every parent in here, a grandparent under the age of, let's just start with 50, 50 and under. The greatest responsibility you have is the spirituality that you give your children in your home. In a world that's full of chaos, they see all of the things that are pushed on them from every side. They deserve a home. If you're going to come to church, I didn't say you had to be perfect, but if you're going to come to church and you're going to proclaim to be Christian, the greatest thing should be for them to have an environment in their home that honors God. Honors God. I know things happen that are outside of our control. There are houses where maybe both parents are not saved, or maybe houses where the parents aren't saved, or there may be single parent households, both mom and dad. But if you are a believer, we ought to do our best to to have that kind of atmosphere in our home so that our children know our values and they don't just know what we preach, they see what we do. 
They know what's okay to watch and not watch. They know what's okay to listen to and not listen to. Not because we've preached to them, but because they see us in action. We cannot afford to drop the baton. Folks, you and I have the greatest responsibility to foster that environment. Family altars, devotionals, prayer, setting parameters and boundaries. It, it does something for your children. And the Bible says in the book of Deuteronomy, when Moses was instructing the children of Israel, he said, talking to the fathers, he said, he said rise up in early in the morning at the noonday and at nighttime before you go to bed. He said, talk to your children about these things. Tell them the story of Passover when the Lord brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. And at that time, Moses said, when your children ask, why did God do these things? You can look at them and say, at one time we were slaves in Egypt. And the Lord with his strong hand brought us out. Because mom and daddy was a slave, you don't have to be. Here's our testimony. Here's where God has brought us from. See, some of you, I'm going to be honest with you, you had a wild past. You, you, you live a wild, and you haven't even began to even tell your children anything. And listen, maybe you don't need to air out all of your dirty lines. Some things are, are reserved. You just need to confess that to the Lord and go on. But there are some things our children need to know. We've walked down that road. We've been there. It's not as exciting as you think it is. That temptation leads to a place that you don't want to wind up. If we're not careful, the consequence is a generation who could care less. Friends, I believe to an extent we're there in our nation. When Barna says that church serving, church giving, church attendance is at an all-time low across all mainline denominations, Baptist, Methodist, Episcopalian, Pentecostals of all flavors, you name it, church attendance is at an all-time decline. And the age gap that is primarily in decline is not in the Gen Zs and the millennials, it's in their parents. The generation that came off of the heels of the great revivals of our nation. Hello, somebody. Mom, dad, listen to me. Children's church and the youth group cannot be the sole responsible party for discipling your children. We want to help you. If you don't know how to have a devotional with your child, if you don't know how to start, please, for the love of God, grab somebody. Grab one of these elders, grab me, grab my wife, grab one of our staff, one of our volunteers. We will resource you, help you have those conversations in your home. I, I, I won't share this due to, due to privacy, but I was happening about town yesterday, and, and some of our members were outside, and I stopped by, and I'm like, hey, what you doing? They were talking to their little one about Jesus coming back because they had questions. I said, dear God, somebody gets it. So important. So important. Listen, God gave them to you. And to God, you will be responsible for them. Listen, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you or your, do your children or your grandchildren see personal prayer as a priority in your life? Do they see you pray when crisis comes? Is prayer over the food at your house a normal thing? When trouble happens, do they hear you pray? Let me ask you a Pentecostal question. Have they ever heard you pray in the Spirit? How will our children ever know about praying in tongues if they never hear us pray in tongues? Hello, somebody. Do they see the attendance to the house of God as a priority? Listen, as a parent... Your child, listen to me, should not dictate your church attendance. It does not take a child very long to realize that football, fishing, and whatever else comes up is more important to you than church. It doesn't take long. And what you teach them is what they will do. Hello. 
Do you teach your children to honor God with their finances? Or are you modeling for them a life of non-trust in God? Do they see you as materialistic? Or do they know mom and dad as being generous? I'm not talking about just giving to church, but to people in need. Do they see you as one who's always working for a dollar? Or do they see you as one who's trying to live their lives open-handedly to bless those in need? Listen, those things are taught to our children by us. We have to perpetuate that to the next generation. Here's one, number four. Have you laid your hands on your children lately and spoke a word over their life? Because trust me, people are speaking over them every day, and it's not the right thing. It is not too late to turn the tide to see a generation that has not only seen the works of God, but passes them on to the next generation. I'll be honest with you, church uh, people today that study analytics and statistics tell us that there is a curiosity and there is a hunger in this current generation like never before. You don't believe me? Every movie that Hollywood has produced in the last three to five years in somehow, some way has been slanted to the supernatural. Supernatural horror movies and things of that nature slanted to the supernatural. You know what? We have a generation curious about the supernatural. Curious about it. They hear about a God who can heal and open blind eyes, but have we shown them? Like many things, what they don't find in the church, they go look for a substitute in the world. And which is why many of our young people go into college and get off into rebellion and witchcraft and other things. The fact of the matter is this morning, my friend, God has called us to have a generational Pentecost. And I don't want the experiences of one generation to be lost because we failed to be intentional about the transfer of the baton. Come on, is anybody with me this morning? Again, not a blanket statement of what's happening here. It's just something that's happening around the body of Christ. It's happening. We've got one generation who served in all the ministries of the church. They're tired. They did it. They were faithful, just like Joshua's generation. And then there's a generation now that says, we don't have time for that. What do we have to do? From this point forward, we have to be intentional at putting tools of discipleship in the hands of families, in teaching families the importance of a family altar and a place of prayer and a time of seeking after God so that our grandparents' experiences become our experiences. They don't become museum pieces for us to have memories. But as I said this morning, the testimonies of our past become a prophecy for our future. Because if Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then what he did then, he can do now. God is able. Do you know I still believe that God has great plans for our nation? Even with everything spinning all out of control, we, we feel like out of control. God still has plans. The Bible still says that in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. The Bible still says your sons and your daughters will prophesy. The Bible still says that your old men will dream dreams. You know why the old men dream dreams? Because they take more naps. Hello. The Bible says the young men will have visions. It's, it's a synergy of male and female working together, young and old working together. It's a synergy of God's plan of outpouring in these last days. But church, listen to me clearly this morning. I'm getting ready to close. You and I, from this day forward, have to be intentional passing that torch to the next generation. Amen? I'm making some challenges this morning. Making some challenges this morning. 
some of our older folks, get a younger couple or a teenager's phone number. Invite them to lunch. Talk to them about what the Lord's done in your life. Ask them what God's doing in their life. I think you'd be surprised. I think it would encourage you. It would encourage them. Young people, I would encourage you. Be receptive. The thing that we must understand from generation to generation, and this is important, no two moves of God have ever looked alike. They haven't. I can go from 1900 forward and show you everything that God did, significant, every movement from the tent revivals, from the 30s, 40s, 50s, to the Jesus movement, to the Swaggerts, to the Brownsvilles, to the whatever, I can show you, none of those look the same. None of them. You know why? Because every generation deserves to experience revival in their generation. And guess what happens? We end up like, Eli, like uh, the sons of the prophets. The Bible says that Elijah was this great man, right? He did miracles. There was this young fellow named Elisha, the Tishbite. He was following him around. He was enthralled upon his anointing. Elijah several times said, man, leave me alone. He said, I will not leave you. Elijah, what do you want? I would that I had a double portion of your anointing. God spoke through the prophet prophetically, and he says, nevertheless, you ask a hard thing, but if you see me when I'm taken, you can have it. The Bible says in Kings that came a day where the Lord took his servant Elijah away in a chariot of fire and whirlwind. And Elijah went up, and Elisha was looking, and he saw the mantle come down. He ran, and he got it. it. This mantle meant something. It was the mantle that touched his shoulder when he was yoking oxen in the field. It meant something. He picked it up. He began to carry it. Problem is that even though Elisha received a double portion, he wasn't the only one watching. The Bible says the sons of the prophets were afar off. They were in the distance, they watched everything, and all of a sudden they ran to Elisha. They were very familiar with Elijah, he was their mentor, he was the one who poured into them. They ran to Elisha, they began to ask questions. They said, alas, where is our master? For the Lord has taken him away from us today. Maybe he's placed him on some high mountain. So let us go and look for him. So they left double and went and looked to the half they were familiar with. They could have been dancing with double. But because they weren't familiar with it, they went to what they were used to. you got to understand this morning, when God does something generationally, it never looks the same. Never looks the same. But the question we got to ask ourselves today is, is the mantle the same? Jesus is Savior. Jesus is healer. Jesus is a baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Jesus is our soon coming king. Folks, listen, if we get Jesus right, everything else will fall into place. But I'm here to ask the question this morning. How many of you want a generational legacy? Oh, come on, somebody. Anybody in this room? Come on. Nobody, nobody wants the baton to be lost. So I'm going to do something weird right now. Everybody stand up. I like doing weird stuff. Please don't leave. We are not done, but I won't be long. Hallelujah. If you are in this room this morning and you are under the age of 45, I want you to come forward. 
And I want you to stand across this front facing the people. Under the age of 45. If your spouse is a different age or whatever, you can go or stay with your spouse. But I want to, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to show you something. I'm, 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 try, I'm, I'm trying to show you something this morning. Come on, not the age you tell everybody on Facebook. Your real age. Jesus knows. All right, we got everybody. Everybody else, I want you to look out here. Those of you who are over the age of 45, who are in the faith, you were entrusted with something so precious. See, the thing is, the generation in Joshua's day, they died. And guess what? I don't know if you know this or not, but when you die, it's too late. I said it's too late. But guess what? If you're not dead, help me. It's not too late. If you're not dead, it's not too late. For those of you who are still seated today, I'm going to ask you to do something real quick. And there might not be a person for every person, but this is just a representation this morning. For those of you who are older in the faith, you've walked through some trials. You've seen the miraculous hand of God. You've seen the power of God. You've seen cancer healed. You've seen uh, supernatural things. You've been on fast. You've watched God do dreams and visions and the gifts of the Spirit. You've seen all of that. And you say, you know what? You know what? I, w I, I, want, to, I want to impart to this next generation. Come on, if that's you, I need some spiritual grandmas, grandpas, moms, and dads to come in line and face. I'm going to lead us all in a prayer in just a moment. But if that's you, come on, I want you to get out of your pew right now. And I want you to get eyeball to eyeball, shoulder to shoulder with these people. And guess what we're going to do? We're going to have a generational prayer. Amen? We're going to have a generational prayer. If you want to lay hands on somebody top of their head or their shoulders, please. But this morning, I want us to pray for that next generation. Come on, are you ready? How many of you believe God's church is in good hands? How many of you believe God, if he did it in your generation, he can do it in the next generation? Hallelujah. All right? People are coming right now. People are coming right now. This is an altar of commitment today. We're going to make a commitment to share the faithfulness of God with one another. Are you ready? People are coming. If you're unable to come due to health, that's fine. Pray where you are. People are coming this morning. This is so beautiful. So beautiful this morning. Hallelujah. Let's pray right now. Father, one generation to another. Lord, we realize that you've been faithful to us. Lord, we realize today that you have given us miracles. You've given us victory. You've given us, Lord, great things. And this morning, we make a conscious effort. We make a conscious decision to pass on our faith to the next generation. Lord, the miracle power of God, it does not need to go to the grave with us like it did with Elisha. Those mantles, those gifts, those callings, we've got to pass them to the next generation. So, God, right now, in Jesus' name, I'm asking you, Lord, to build spiritual hunger and fire in the hearts of your people today. In the name of Jesus. Come on. Some of you older saints, pray in the Holy Ghost. Come on. Pray the fire of God down on those people. Lord, today, do a work in this generation. God, do a work in this generation. Do something supernatural. Break every statistic. Break every lie of the enemy. Break every plan that Satan has prospered against these people. Bind up spirits of offense and things of that nature. Lord, right now, one generation to another, let your power rest upon them now. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on. Oh, God one generation to the next. Lord, let us champion them. Let us brag upon them. Let us encourage them in the name of Jesus. Oh God, let your power flow and your power fall in a mighty way. Oh, hallelujah.
Yes, in the name of Jesus. 